0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Centre Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. As we think about um, purpose in life and meaning, I want to ask you tonight, what is your purpose? What is your meaning? When you get out of bed in the morning, what drives you? What's your passion? You know, when I was asked to um, speak about purpose from the book of Proverbs, I came across this verse, and it just stood out above the rest, and it's in Proverbs 11.30, and it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. You know, as Christians, there's no higher purpose than soul winning. There's no higher purpose than introducing people to Jesus. You know, many times we get caught up in our lives, and when we get up in the morning, we're focusing on our careers, being a good plumber, doctor, electrician, mechanic, going to school and being a good student, and all these are good things. But what's a greater purpose is that we see our jobs, our workplaces... Our schools, the hockey teams we play on as mission fields to introduce people to Jesus, there's a higher purpose than just going to work and getting a paycheck or going to school and getting a good grade on a test. Those are important things, but what's more important is your fellow students that don't know Jesus Christ and that are going to hell for eternity without him. And we have the answer in Jesus, the author of life, to give them why are we holding back you know there's um. last week I had the opportunity to lead a young man to Jesus and um, this is a great story he comes from a family that isn't following Christ and he asked his mom to bring him to church first time to church and it was his teacher from school from high school that gave him mere Christianity it's a book about Jesus and, he, and he's been reading that, and God used this book to just transform his heart. And when I talked to him, he said, I'm empty. I know I need Jesus. How do I receive Christ? <laughs> you know, that's low-hanging fruit, right? Um, but, it, but what really, um, God really spoke to me on the way home. I was impressed with that teacher. That teacher who, although he was probably a great teacher, he had a higher purpose to see this young man come to Christ. And I, want, and I challenge you tonight, as a Christian, to have that higher purpose. So why don't we share? There's many reasons, some it's fear, some we don't know what to say, some we just get selfish, and we just don't wanna take the time and do it. But I think primarily, it's a heart thing. You see, when our hearts are broken, people when we see a need most of us here would meet that need if we see a a child that's starving of food most of us here would give that child a piece of bread well we see people dead spiritually starving spiritually all around us why don't we give them Jesus and I believe it's because we haven't cried out to God to break our hearts for the lost around us there's a story of a man named John Hyde. He's a missionary. And in Bible school, the uh, prof said that he would amount to nothing. They thought he was partially deaf. He was a horrible speaker, and uh, he didn't know the language of the place he was going to, India. But he went to India, and he started to daily pray for hours a day, God, give me souls or I die. He'd rather die than not see people around him come to Christ. And he was crying out for souls. When's the last time you cried for someone that was lost in your life? And then he started to get more specific. God, give me one soul today. And he started to pray for one soul. And God started to answer that prayer as he prayed and he acted. He started to see people come to Christ. And through his ministry, thousands came to Jesus. But you know, he had a heart for the lost, He prayed for the lost, he cried over the lost, and then he took action and introduced people to Christ. There's three points that I want to talk about in this verse, in the first part of the verse. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. First of all, a healthy tree reproduces. So this verse is comparing the fruit of the righteous to a living tree, a tree of life. And first of all, who are the righteous? Well, the righteous... Aren't those who do good works to get right with God? The word righteousness or righteous is to be right with God. How do we get right with God? It's not through works. It's not through religion. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we're righteous. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It says, he who knew no sin, this talking about Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, this is a beautiful verse that talks about the great exchange that when we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, our sins are on Jesus on the cross. So, he paid for our sins with his own blood. And then his righteousness goes on us. That's some good news, amen? It's a great exchange. It's the best news that we could ever share with anyone. So righteous is talking about those that are born again, those that are in Christ. So, but once we're right with God, now it's about helping others get right with God. It's not enough that we're right with God. Now it's our job, like a tree of life, to impact those around us and help them get right with God by introducing them to Jesus, you see. See, a tree of life is living like just think of an apple tree. It, a healthy tree produces apples. Someone comes and eats an apple. It's life-sustaining, but also it has seeds that reproduce. So as Christians, we have to be about bringing those around us to Christ. Life-giving. Second point is no seed, no harvest. So often we assume that people around us are just going to come to Christ. We think that us living a good life is good enough. And that's not the case, my friends. You know, there's a lot of good people um, that live good lives. If people don't know how to come to Christ, if people don't know that it's Jesus that has changed their lives, then um, they just don't know how to be made right with God. So often we assume that it's just going to happen, and people are going to ask us, why are you living a good life? See, it's not enough just to stop drinking and smoking and partying and start going to church on Sundays. No, we need to start praying for those around us and sharing Jesus with them. Romans 10, 13 to 14 says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how shall they ask him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And listen to this last one. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? I'm gonna say that one again. And how can they hear about him? It's talking about Jesus unless someone tells them I have two friends that have died this year once you get older I'm in my early 40s that happens more often I'm finding my one friend that died in the spring I have peace about that friend because I was able to share my faith with him to share Christ with him and I have hope that he's in heaven the second friend that died I just found about yesterday He was a hockey buddy of mine I played hockey with for two years. I was on his line, but I never shared Jesus with him. I have a lot of regret. I'm still trying to process it. I never took the time or cared enough to share Jesus with him in any way. I didn't give him a Bible. I didn't share my story. I didn't share anything with him. I've never regretted sharing Christ with someone. But I have regrets for not. How do we plant seeds? How do we share Christ? The first thing we have to realize as we leave these doors is that we don't save anyone. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I plant Apollos' waters, only God gives the increase. You see, if we think we're going to save people, we're going to burn out or get frustrated. Only God saves, but it's our job to plant the seed to introduce people to Christ. There's a story of a, a true story about a man that he was a sailor, he was drinking, partying, gambling, and at the age of 25, he ended up in a port in Australia. and someone witnessed to him about Jesus, and he gave his life to Jesus, and he was so transformed, he was so in love with Christ, he made a deal with Jesus, said, "Jesus, I'm going to share you with 10 people a day." And this man's name was Frank Jenner. So for 25 years. He shared with 10 people a day, and, and they say that he's, he probably witnessed to 100,000 people. He planted 100,000 seeds. And then, um, long story short, is this, this pastor in England at a conference, he asked people how they came to Christ, who God used to help bring, bring them to Christ. And two, two people said, well, I was in Australia on George Street, and this man asked me a question, um, when I die, if I'm going to heaven or hell, and then they gave me, or he gave me a little gospel on a piece of paper. And then God worked that question through my mind and heart, and I read the gospel, and I gave my life to Christ. And then this pastor from England, he did all these conferences around the world, and time after time, he'd have pastors and missionaries share that they got saved through this man in George Street in Australia. This... um man named frank jenner so this a pastor went to australia to find the frank jenner and he found frank jenner in this humble humble apartment and he told him all the people that were now serving jesus because of his ministry witnessing and he just started to cry because he never knew about one of those people not one but thousands had come to christ through his ministry But why I share that, maybe you can't see yourself on a street asking that question or giving the gospel ten times a day, but I challenge you, can you see yourself intentionally praying for people around you and saying, God, use me however you want to, to introduce people to Jesus? Maybe it's an alpha course. Maybe it's inviting people to church. It could be a myriad of different ways. The, um, the technique isn't the issue. You know, Paul, even Philippians, he says, I don't even care if people are sharing the gospel with wrong motives. At least Jesus, at least the gospel is being preached. I praise God for everyone that shares the gospel intentionally. E- even if it's not necessarily the way I would do it. At least they're lifting up Jesus. They're planting a seed. Um, outside of having a brokenness for the lost, two other reasons why we don't share is fear, a fear of rejection, fear of failure, insecurities, but also not knowing what to say. And I know in 2002, I was going to church on Sunday, I was going to Bible study, but I didn't have a burden for the lost, and I never shared Jesus, and I never saw anyone come to Christ either. <laughs> but in 2002, things changed. There was an evangelist who did an equipping course, and it was about praying for the lost, but it was helping us um, know how to share the gospel, share Jesus with people. And from that um, time on, I made a list. It was called an Operation Andrew list, but a list of 20 of my friends and family that didn't know Christ. And I prayed to God. I prayed, God, at least allow me to share my testimony, my story of how you have changed my life at the very least. And by the grace of God, over the years, I've seen at least 10 of them come to Christ. And some it's been... Some it was almost right away, and others, you know, it's just been a few years ago, they, one called me up and said, thank you for sharing your testimony. I just received Christ. Others have been on Facebook. Um, you know, they Facebook me and said they're following Christ. But what I want to encourage you to do, if, um, if you want to be equipped to share your faith, is every Thursday in November, starting this Thursday, we're, we're going to have a daily evangelism equipping course. And what this course is, it's basically 12 sessions, 12 lessons over four sessions. And it's um, at 7 o'clock in the Theater A, right here at the church. But it's going to help equip you to share your faith. And um, if you want to be equipped, I just encourage you to come. It's free. But uh, right now, before I close, I want to ask Mustafa to come up. He's a friend of mine. And he's going to share his story on how Jesus has changed his life. And, and Mustafa is dealing with um, some medical stuff, so, so he's asked me to ask you just to pray for him that he'll get through this tonight. Bless you, brother. Actually, let's just pray for him now. Father, I just lift up Mustafa, God, and I know you have some powerful things to share about what you've done in his life tonight, God, and I just pray that you would give him the strength, fill him with your Holy Spirit, to just speak what you wanna speak through him tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Bless Is this on? Yeah,
1: cool. Sorry, guys, I'm a little high on painkillers right now. Um, but I wouldn't wanna miss this opportunity for the world. Um, just wanted to share with you guys today about my testimony. Uh, it's an hour-long testimony that I have to crunch in 10 minutes, so bear with me here. Um, I call Santa Street my own church. Um, I go to the Young Adults uh, core, uh, core Group. Um, I served there, actually. Um, so yeah, they're here supporting me tonight as well. Um, <laughs> see, I have friends. Um, so yeah, uh, basically, my name is Mustafa. I'm, uh, I have five other siblings. I'm the fifth child. Uh, my older sister was aborted in the womb. And uh, I want to show you guys some miracles um, because I was almost aborted as well, but my mom fought really, really hard to keep me. Um, when I was born, I was actually considered a holy child. Because I was born to a, uh, um, well, I was born on Prophet Muhammad's birthday. Um, And that's why they named him Mustafa, which means the chosen one, which is one of the names given to Muhammad. Um, So spoiler alert, I accept Jesus at the end of the story. Uh, So, uh, yeah. Um, Anyway, so when I was born, it was during the, um, around the Gulf War time, or as I like to call it, the prequel. Um, And basically, uh, we had to flee the country for what my mom thought would be about six months. Uh, My dad did half of his PhD in India and uh, finished a bit in London, so he thought that India would be the greatest place to uh, flee to. So we fled to India as refugees, and uh, what we thought would be six months ended up being 14 years. Um, So we lived there illegally, um, no passports, nothing. Um, We basically uh, flew under the radar the entire time. We went shelter to shelter, uh, trying to make it work, and for seven years, guys, I only had one meal a day. Um, And uh, we had to, all of us had to get cash paying jobs because we couldn't go anywhere um, to get real jobs because we get ID'd and things like that. Uh, Excuse me, the second miracle I want to share with you guys, aside from my birth, um, when I was six years old, I smashed my face this side. I don't know if you guys can see the scar. Um, And this is 1995 in an ER room in a village in India. So when I was brought in, uh, they told me, they told my mom I was dead. I was pronounced dead for two minutes. I didn't have breathing or circulation. And then randomly I started breathing again. And um, they reconstructed my face and they told my mom I'd never be able to walk. I can outrun my cat. Um, they told my mom that I wouldn't be able to do well in school. I have my Bachelor of Science. Um, and they told my mom I wouldn't be able to basically communicate. And I speak three languages, which by the way, one of them is Hindi, so uh, I can camouflage through at the airport if needed. Um, but, anyways, so. Those are the things that, that God's done for me, you know, the fact that I survived. Um, from ages 7 to 10, uh, extremely rough childhood, uh, dealt with a lot of abuse and things like that, uh, not from family but from strangers. Um, but at the age of 10, my mom got a job at the school I went to. And I'll tell you guys a little bit about the school. Uh, so it's an Islamic Iraqi school and it was free for refugees. So it didn't matter if you had documents or anything like that. Uh, the catch was I had to walk three and a half hours uh, to that school and come back. Uh, but it was free education, and, you know, Middle Easterns, they, they pushed for that. Um, so my mom got a job there teaching English, and I know a lot of you guys are asking how my English is good. I learned it from Nickelodeon. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, we, we got a job, and we moved a family of eight into a two-bedroom house. Uh, overseas, they don't care how many people you are as long as you pay your rent. On time, you're okay. Um, and when she finally got a job, just so you guys know, my, mom's, uh, my dad served in the Army um, for about four years, and uh, when, he, when we fled India, he dealt with a lot of PTSD. So he was kind of in and out, doing his own thing. Uh, so my mom had to find a caregiver, and she hired a Christian lady. And uh, this Christian lady's only condition was that she takes the kids to church every Saturday, she was a seven day Adventist. Uh, and my mom said, you know, no big deal, that's fine. So she took all of us to church and for two years I was the guy uh, collecting money at, at the church. Uh, this 10 year old Muslim kid collecting kids, uh, collecting, uh, <laughs> c- collecting money. And, um, <laughs> um, and basically, so, so that's, that's kind of what I was exposed to in terms of Christianity. I come from a very devout Muslim family, I'm not a cultural Muslim per se, I followed, the, followed Islam to the T. And um, so, so for me to just kind of seeing that, I started getting into kind of like a 10-year-old apologetics with, with my maid, uh, with our with caregiver. And I, I told her, like, why would you worship a God, or, or Jesus, uh, nailed to a cross? He can't do much for you. And this is what she explained to me for salvation when I was 12. She said, Mustafa, when your mom is mad at you, she locks you in her room. This guy named Jesus, he asked every single mom, that he gets locked in the room and that everyone can go out and play. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, from ages 12 to uh, 15, we applied to migrate out of India because my mom realized that kids are going to start to graduate and we are going to need some sort of security. Remember, like, we're flying out of radar, under the radar. It's kind of like you guys leave your phone and wallet and everything and go in the middle of nowhere, like Saskatchewan, and uh, <laughs> trying to deal with life. So, um, yeah, my is still good. Um, anyways, so, i was <clears throat> just gonna sit down for a second. Um, so yeah, so, so that was the case. So we applied to uh, migrate to uh, Australia and they rejected our application. This is kind of funny, three weeks after 9-11, my mom applied to migrate to the United States um, and they declined our application, surprise. So, uh, Canada accepted us, finally, and from 2002 till 2006, we waited, Uh, they did a lot of investigation and things like that, and finally we came to Canada as refugees in September of 2006. Just to to explain to you guys, uh, that's how the process works. A lot of people think that Air Canada brings one of their crappy planes and loads up refugees and we come here, but we actually have to sit there and wait uh, for this process. Now, the the culture overseas supported my faith, my Islamic faith, but over in North America, it did not. a lot of the things didn't make sense, like clothing and, and things like that. And unfortunately for my mom and my family, we thought the best example of Christianity is North America, because it's, uh, it's seen as a Christian nation. And uh, with that, she thought Christianity meant drinking and partying and all that uh, fun jazz you see on Hollywood. And um, so going to high school was a little rough. Uh, there's about eight Muslim kids in there, out of 1,500 students. But regardless of that, that's who I connected with. Because 9-11 at that point was about five years uh, old, and uh, I was still terrified of how North Americans will view me, and vice versa. So I obviously leaned in towards my Muslim friends and things like that. I had to explain to people why I wasn't eating during Ramadan, Uh, I had to ask if things were, if this was made out of pork or not, because I didn't have to worry about it overseas, but here I did. I almost had to amp up my Islam in in that sense. And um, I, uh, Even when I started high school, I had to repeat grade 11 because, yes, my English was good, but it was only street English. It wasn't uh, things that I could use practically in school. And then in the Islamic school, they teach you Hadith and Quran and uh, Arabic literature and things like that, so it's really difficult to get credits for that. So I had to repeat grade 11, graduated grade 12 with honors, and just like any good Middle Eastern kid, uh, my mom wanted to get a real job, uh, like become a doctor or an engineer or a Kardashian. And, uh, and um, so, so, yeah, so I graduated with honors, got, out, got into university. Um, my first month at the university, I went to get a haircut in Lethbridge on 3rd Avenue, and um, there's a, the Dove Christian store was right beside it. Now, I hate art. Uh, I don't see any appeal in it. I, uh, you know, paintings and things like that, they're cool, but, like, it's nothing that will captivate me. But I found a painting of Jesus pulling Peter out of the water, who, by the way, I thought was Moses. Um, so when I went inside, I told that lady I'd really like to buy this. And she's like, which one? And I said, the painting of Moses. And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you know when he split the Red Sea and he forgot someone in there and went back to get him? Because <coughs> I genuinely thought, genuinely thought that maybe the Bible is so screwed up you guys don't know what the story is. So. <laughs> So she kind of partially evangelized, and she's like trying to explain what the story was, so I said, okay, how do I take this back to my house? Because my mom, of course, Muslims, you guys know, we don't carry uh, pictures of idols or anything like that, and because Christ is seen as uh, a God in another faith, we couldn't have that. So I convinced my mom that it was Moses, and it flew by, and uh, I had this painting above my head for four years. And here's what happened. So 2012, uh, close to graduation at the university, I just wanna really tell you guys quickly that at this time, this whole time, no one intentionally evangelized to me. No one invited me to church, uh, to a Bible study, to anything. But I can tell you how many times people invited me to go out for a beer, uh, to go out camping, and and things like that. So it was just frustrating to see that, looking back. But regardless, we'll keep going. So 2012, I'm about to graduate in, in, in that month, and I saw this, I'm guessing an evangelist, outside of Tim Hortons, and he just asked me two questions. Uh, what the Quran talks about in salvation, about salvation, and do I personally know who Jesus is? And at first, I didn't listen to him because he was wearing a Calgary flame shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Canucks fan, guy, Sorry. Um, so, so, but I took that as a challenge, right? I took that because as I'm pursuing my degree, I was also minoring in religion because I wanted to be a Muslim apologist. And I went back, thought nothing of it. In November of that year the painting I just told you guys about fell on my head. And it just woke me up. And the cool thing is, as soon as it fell on my head, the words of that guy, do you know who Jesus is, replayed in my head. And that's the only evangelism I ever got, intentionally, and it's the only one I needed. And uh, so I was like, you know what, out of my arrogance, because knowledge puffs up in Islam, um, the more knowledgeable you are and things like that, um, of course, you accept that humbly, but I, I did not. Because um, I always thought I was the right, and I always, the relationship, by the way, I had with Allah at that point is me comparing myself to other people. So I'd be like, hey Allah, look it's look at Donna, for example. She drinks and smokes and does all that. I don't do any of these things, right? That's the kind of relationship I had with, with him. Because I had to be perfect enough to, to merit my entry to uh, heaven. Anyways. Um, After that, I went to Chapters, and I decided to bury this. So I bought a King James Bible, my first mistake. (coughs) Um, Excuse me. Um, And that's because for a guy whose English, Arabic is my first language, but for English as second language people, it makes no sense, right? Grab Macbeth, it's the same thing. Um, So in five minutes, I returned it and grabbed an NIV. Uh, right now, I use the ASV, by the way. Um, so I started reading the Bible cover to cover. So I read Genesis. I'm like, this is cool. I read Exodus. Moses doesn't forget anyone in the Red Sea. And then uh, <laughs> I got to Leviticus, and I shut the book. Because it was just awful. I was like, hey, none of this makes sense. I don't see Jesus anywhere. By the way, any, Muslims don't understand, uh, it depends on how much they looked into Christianity, how the Bible works, right? There's Old Testament, New Testament. We, we separate those two books that's what the Quran talks about, right? In Injil and the Torah. So I didn't understand how it worked, like Old Testament, New Testament, so that's why it was a little confusing at the time. Sorry story gets a little grim. Um, my, one of my cousins, um, she was 22 and pregnant and an electrician student, electrical engineering student. And in Iraq, you don't have hot water like we do here. You have to manually do that. And she had the heater into the bathtub. And the electricity in Iraq is on about five, uh, five hours per, per day and it was left in there and the electricity came on while she was having a bath, and she was electrocuted to death. And um, a few months after that, I lost one of my best friends in a head-on collision, collision in Picture Butte. and um, he, he was Catholic, so I've never actually seen a dead body in my life, and uh, when I approached the casket, I saw him in there, and for the first time, my salvation super-duper mattered to me. Ask any Muslim, are they guaranteed heaven? Right? You do your best, you stand before Allah, and he weighs your sins and deeds. Okay? To say that you're guaranteed heaven tells you that you know as much as God does. Right? No good Muslim will sit there and boast, so to speak. And I didn't have anything to show for God. I was like, even though I was a good person and things like that, I still don't know where I'm headed. So I went back home, skipped over Leviticus, and I finished the Bible cover to cover. And I started to fall in love with the Bible more and more. And the best way I, example I can give it to you guys is that it was like watching my favorite sports team lose. Um, you know, the other team plays so much better, yet you're still, your heart is with the other team. And um, I went back to the Quran, and for the first time, too, I, I, I don't know how this works. I don't know, you get the Holy Spirit when you get saved at the time, but I felt like the Holy Spirit was with me div- despite me being Muslim, because when I read the Quran, things started to jump at me. I started questioning a lot of things that I normally wouldn't. Um, So I went back to the Bible, and out of contrast, just the New Testament, and I was like, this is amazing stuff, right? There's no way people actually believe that. So I wanted to see that in practice. So I went on a computer, and I googled how to look Christian. And um, it's so funny, you should see some of the pictures. Long story short, I just shaved my beard and parted my hair and put on a shirt. And uh, I went to, I went to uh, the Evangelical Free Church in Lethbridge, and I sat at the very, very back. And I'm expecting like, the Pope to come out and like, read off of Leviticus, because I've never been invited to a church, I have no idea what goes on, right? And uh, they started playing songs, and the first song they played was Cornerstone, and I was singing it with them, because it was really cool. Um, and as I was leaving the church, uh, Pastor Ian told me to, like, I don't know how pastors do it, that he just knew that I wasn't there before, and we had a conversation for three hours, and he gave me a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Um, he basically told me that I'm doing kind of the same research, but this guy had a little more money, and, uh, to, to check it out. And I read this book in four days, and it really, really rocked my, my, my faith. It did. Um, I was still doing the five times a day prayer, not eating pork and things like that, But it was, something was just not right. Um, Fast forward a bit, I got accepted into med school, family was super happy, uh, but it was around the time that I honestly stopped caring about anything worldly and just wanted to know who God was. uh, My mom and dad at that point separated and I went to tell my dad about my admission and I stole his sleeping pills. Um, 22 trazodone pills to be exact. PTSD as I told you guys. I went back home. And for three days, I couldn't sleep. I had the Bible open on John 3.16, and I had the Quran open on chapter 112. It talks about God being one. He doesn't beget, nor was he begotten. And there's no one parallel to him. And I said to God, pled with him, or whoever was listening at the time, and I said, you have to come down and show me, otherwise I'm going to come up and ask you. Because it's funny, my suicide was inspired from the Bible, and I'll explain that in a second. Uh, I think it's in Psalm 139. Uh, verse 8, uh, it talks about uh, David's telling God, where would I go that I may hide from your spirit? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. And uh, took the 22 trazodone pill and woke up in the psych ward. Now in Alberta, you have to get assessed by a psych ward, or a psychiatrist. And uh, the psychiatrist I was assessed by was an Iraqi guy, my mom's friend, and a Muslim. And uh, for a guy who doesn't fully believe in the Bible yet, I couldn't tell him what was going on, so I basically lied, and he admitted me 30 days mandatory. I uh, snuck into a Catholic chapel and grabbed the Bible, and I continued my research, right? I don't have time to tell you guys uh, what what that looked like. Um, Got out of the psych ward, and uh, moving on, uh, on August 8th of 2015, I accepted Jesus into my heart. And... Um, My mind, apologetically and everything, was convinced. My heart wasn't. So I said, I'm going to read John 3.16 for however long it takes, until I started crying. Now I haven't cried since Toy Story 3. (laughs) (laughs) But in two hours, I started bawling my eyes out when I read John 3.16. And that's when I got saved. I did the prayer, and I accepted Jesus in my heart, repented of my sins, and guys, within 10 days, I came up with a list of about 30 people I want to tell about Jesus. And none of them are family. I'm pretty sure the shopper's drug Mart cashier was one of them. Um, <laughs> I was so excited. It was Saturday. So it was Friday night going into Saturday morning. And I said to myself, okay, gather all my notes. And I said, I'm going to go talk to my dad. And I'm going to convert my entire family Saturday. And we'll go to church Sunday. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, that, that was not a good idea. Uh, yeah, went to my dad. And I... I remember the conversation. I was just talking to him, and I told him that I converted, and he shut down. And I just started talking, 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 and he's like, wait a minute. The reason why you were in the psych ward because of the Bible, I said yes. He said the reason why med school didn't work out is because of you, Uh, because of the Bible, I said yes. And that's when he grabbed my collar, slammed me against the wall, and just started pummeling my face. Excuse me. Um, they, They called... My neighbors called the ambulance and the police. Uh, so on my dad's end of things, they gave him like anger management classes and things like that. But I was at the hospital, face all bruised up, and then I was discharged. And I was really angry at Jesus. I really was. I was saved about 10 hours, and this is what happened. You know, I expected that following the the wrong faith uh, would result in whatever, but following the right one would make everything good. I was expecting money. I was expecting Selena Gomez to reply to my DMs. I was. Uh, <laughs> I was expecting a lot of things, and none of them happened. But it's funny, because when I was reading the Bible, it's almost like God was preparing me for this, right? I read in Luke, it said, no one can be my disciple unless they hate their father, mother, daughter, right? It talks about in Matthew 6:25 uh, 25, uh, about look at the birds, where uh, do you not see my father feeding them? And, uh, you know, just a lot of things like that. It was like the, the Holy Spirit was preparing me for this. Um, went back to my mom's house, and that was a different conversation on its own. Um, she kicked me out of the house, but she gave me money to go to another house um, because she's my mom, right? It's different than, than dad's. And uh, for about three days, I lived in my car, um, and I told my pastor, and he was really mad, and then he went and told the congregation, and almost everyone opened up their homes, so much so I got picky about which house to go to <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted one closest to a Tim Hortons. Um, <laughs> and after that, by the way, I, uh, after I, like, had my moment with Jesus kind of thing. I remembered that now I can eat pork. Um, So I tried out some bacon, it was phenomenal, gained 30 pounds. Um, um, I think this illness that I have is a blessing in some way because I lost 11 in two weeks. Um, but but yeah, this is this is like really important for me because um, after I got saved, the, the church sponsored me to go to Bible college because they wanted me to get rooted into my faith. And I was really stressing to go into Bible college because I thought everyone would school me. But turns out that it was a humbling experience. So I you know I've learned a lot, got rooted, moved to Calgary, got connected with the core, moved in with Aaron Dixon and Andrew Fuel who helped disciple me. And uh, yeah, here I am today, guys. Thank you.
0: Isn't that an amazing testimony? So what I want to ask you is, who's a Mustafa in your life? You know, what he didn't share was um, when he went to church <coughs> excuse me, and joined the young adult group, there were a lot of young adults that were in his school that were Christian that never shared Jesus with him. It's a challenge for us all, isn't it? So I'm just gonna close, very quickly, three points why winning souls is wise. So the last part of the verse, and Hugh wins souls is wise. First one is, it gives God the greatest glory. When one more person is praising Jesus, it's giving God the greatest glory on earth. Mustapha's in spiritual darkness, now he's in spiritual life, light. He, he's gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, He was against jesus against christianity now he's for jesus and he's even doing apologetics he's going to universities um, in saskatchewan and sharing his faith you know god's using him but that's he's bringing god glory when one soul comes to christ it brings god glory secondly in light of eternity winning souls will be what matters what really matters another question 150 years from now this is a deep question What will matter? 150 years from now, I'll tell you what will matter. Number one is if you're right with God through Christ. If I'm right with God through Christ and I'm in heaven, that's number one. But just as important if those around me, my friends, my family, my coworkers, this city, this world, if others are in heaven with me. And lastly, the greatest purpose for a Christian to come full circle here, the greatest purpose for a Christian is to introduce people to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had the joy of leading someone to Christ or being part of giving a book, um, asking a question, bringing someone to church, and actually seeing that person come to Jesus, but I'm telling you guys, it's the greatest joy you'll ever have on this earth. Charles um, Spurgeon said if he only had one thing to do, he's a great preacher in England, one thing to do in life, it'd be soul winning because he doesn't experience any joy like seeing someone come to Christ that he shared the gospel with or shared his story with. Jesus said it this way in Luke 15. He, sh- he shares three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And, and, and in all those stories, it's about finding the lost coin, sheep, or son And Jesus says this, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There's joy in heaven over Mustafa's coming to Jesus, right? So let's be a part of it. Let's be a part of God's work. Let's join Jesus in his work. For the sake of those around us, for the sake of this city, and for the sake of this world. Let's not wait to go on a missions trip to join him in his work. Let's join right now. Let's join at our workplaces. Let's join on our hockey teams. Let's get involved and see more people come to Jesus in this city. Amen. Um, I just want to call the prayer teams forward. This is a time that we want to pray for you. Mustafa is going to be here t- as well, if he's feeling okay. Um, I'll be down here, but we want to pray for you. Maybe you want to come forward and pray for a lost person in your life. Or maybe you need prayer for, you know, for a sickness or something like that. Or maybe you've heard the message tonight and you've heard Mustafa's testimony, his story, and you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to repent and trust in Jesus. Just come on forward. We would love to pray for you. Before we do that, I haven't done this before. But the bible says the harvest is great the workers are few so pray the lord the harvest for more laborers more workers i'm not expecting a lot of people to stand but i just want to ask you if you want to from this night on through the preaching of the word if you're feeling challenged to be more intentional to pray for the lost and to be more intentional about introducing people to jesus doing something about it. I just want you to stand up. If you just want to say, God, I want to get in the game of seeing people come to Christ like Mustafa. And I just want to pray for us. Just stand up if you want to be used by God to see people come to Jesus around you. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you, God, that you are raising up workers right here in our midst. That are going to go out in the harvest and intentionally start praying for the lost and sharing jesus god i pray for your boldness through the power of your holy spirit none of us can do this without your spirit i pray your holy spirit would cast out all fear and just pour your love inside of us because your perfect love casts out all fear god i pray this week that you would give all of us at least one person to pray for every day to cry for call out for and say, God, here I am, use me to plant a seed of Jesus, whatever it is. God, I pray for everyone that's standing, God, that you would give them a passion for souls, for lost souls like they've never had before in their lives, that the greatest purpose in their life would not be to make money, to have a career, to date a certain person. It would be to see people come to Christ that they would start living life in light of eternity. I pray that for myself, God, that you would give a passion for souls like I've never had before. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.